Uh, we, my wife and I, we had a little staycation, which was nice. She had to work a little bit, but we decided to tackle a uh, remodeling project in our home that um, has, uh, has really taught me a lot about myself um, and taught me a lot of how, you know, I knew that I wasn't handy from the very beginning, um, but it really taught me just how incapable of being handy I really am. Um, so uh, will I ever do one of these again? Probably not. I'd rather just pay, you know, the extra money to, you know, just have somebody do it so I don't have to worry about it. But it's been fun. I've learned a lot. I've spent a lot of quality time with, with my wife and my mom and, um, and my stepdad, who's just really been able to take control of that. So I'm thankful for them. Um, but whatever it is that uh, you did, glad you're here. Uh, as Pastor Frank mentioned, we are in week two of our No Filter Sermon series. And in case you missed last week, um, essentially what we're doing and what I <clears throat> have really felt the need to do was take the, the filters off of Christianity. We as a society as a whole have sort of built up Christianity to, to kind of be something that it's not. Whether we've put filters on it or put sort of these ideas of Christianity that is not necessarily biblical because we want it to match our lifestyle uh, because we don't agree with that part of Christianity or we don't really like that part. So we're going to kind of make it fit what we want. Or we try to make it um, more about ourselves than it really is instead of about others. Or we try to make it more appealing to everybody else. So we've sort of kind of twisted the idea of what biblical and authentic Christianity looks like. So what I wanted to do was take these couple weeks and kind of peel back those layers, right? Um, if you're not familiar with um, like Snapchat or Instagram or anything like that, the big thing now is to put filters on your images. And essentially what that does is it alters the image to be something totally different than what the original picture is. Um, and, you know, you can take a picture of yourself and you can add, you know, like, like bunny ears and like a bunny nose on your face. Or you can like put like these, I don't know, like uh, flower like headdresses around your head, like these glowing halos, right? And they totally change the image of what your original picture was. And we do that to be funny or we do that to, to post, you know, as our profile picture so people don't really see what we look like, right? We try to accentuate our, our, the best parts of ourselves, and we sort of cover up the bad parts. And <clears throat> as a society, we've kind of done that. Um, with, with Christianity. So I wanted to take this idea of filters and take this idea of, of kind of changing the narrative of, of who we are to, to what Christianity is. Um, I was actually talking to a really good buddy of mine this week, and um, I, he's, he, me and him, are um, we've been best friends forever. Uh, he's my age, um, but he is having trouble um, with, with dating just because of his schedule. He works third shift. He works all the time. Um, so, so it's just really hard for him to, 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 to meet somebody. Um, so he's joined some dating, uh, some dating apps and dating websites. And I've just been asking him, you know, how has that experience gone? You know, like, like what's going on? How's that working out for you? And he says, dude, I'm going to be honest with you. It's hard out here. I was like, like what, do you, what do you mean it's hard out here, right? And he goes, let me just show you. So he, he pulls up one of his, his profiles, and I don't know which one it was or whatever, but he pulls it up and he, he showed me a list of all of the, the, the women who had basically liked him or contacted him or whatever. And he goes, just look at their pictures. So, okay. So as I'm scrolling down the list here, I'm seeing picture after picture, and it's all, every single one of them is like this Snapchat edited image of their picture, so you can't really tell what they look like. And he's like, dude, I, I can't really get this idea of, of who these girls are or who these women are because I can't see what they look like because they, 
edited the, the heck out of their pictures. He goes, so when I go and, and sit down and meet them and see them, they look totally different. And it's like, it's hard to discern what is real and what is fake. And he says, and, and check this out, I'll do you one better. And you, he clicked on one, one of these girls' profiles, and it said occupation, all right? And I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly what it said. It said, um, super uh, product, product distribution supervisor. Product distribution supervisor. They're like, hey, that sounds fancy, right? And he, go, and he goes, yeah, it sounds fancy, but do you want to know what she actually did? I was like, sure. She was a delivery driver for Uber Eats, right? Hey, she made herself sound good. Product delivery supervisor made herself sound good. But what we've done on the internet is we have taken these ideas and we've taken who we are and we've edited the heck out of them to accentuate the good parts of our life and to sort of hide the not so good parts. And again, I want to sort of peel back the layers of Christianity and go back to the Bible and see, hey, if we take all of that away, what does real, true, authentic Christianity look like? And last week in week one, if you missed it, we talked about the church. We kind of talked about what it is that the church actually looks like based on the biblical model. And we walked through a couple verses and talked about what the church should look like and things like that. Well, this week, I want to look at what the Bible says about how we are supposed to treat other people. Now, I want to break it down from two angles here. I want to break it down from how Christians should treat each other, so like Christian to Christian, um, and then how Christians should treat, like, non-believers, like people outside the church, right? Um, how they're supposed to treat other people as well. So I want to break it down from both of those angles of how do Christians treat each other? How are we supposed to interact with each other? Um, it, not necessarily just in church, but outside. How do Christians relate to one another? And then how are Christians supposed to relate to people in the outside world? How are Christians supposed to um, sort of talk and help and be with the people who are not of the Christian faith, right? Um, so I want to break it down from those two angles. And the first thing I, I, I want to say is I have a lot of, of um, different kinds of scripture. We're going to be in a lot of different passages. Um, so I've put them all up on the screen uh, so that way you don't have to like, if you get behind, you don't have to keep trying to flip. But um, I do encourage you, if you have your Bible, to flip with me. Um, but I will be in a lot of different verses. So try to uh, hang on and buckle up here. Um, the first one is Philippians 1, 3 through 8. Now, I want to focus first on how Christians should interact with each other. How Christians should talk with each other. And I want to look at a biblical model of Paul. Um, Paul wrote a lot of letters to churches um, while... He was, he, while he was writing, he wrote to um, the church at uh, Philippi, at Ephesus, at Galatia. And we're going to talk about those three different letters that he wrote because he was writing to other Christians. He was writing to basically his brothers and sisters is what he called them. And he really sets a biblical model of how we are supposed to relate to each other. So I want to take a look at three of his letters um, and just sort of not the whole things, obviously, but just bits and pieces of three of his letters to different churches to kind of get an idea of how Paul model, uh, modeled this idea of what it is that how Christians are supposed to be with each other. Uh, so the first, again, is Philippians 1, 3 through 8, and he was writing to the church at Philippi here, so we'll go ahead and read that together. It says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. 
Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you um, share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. If you could please leave that last verse up on the screen there. So this is the very introduction to him, him writing to the church at Philippi. So he is writing this as a broad letter to the church full of believers. And I like it because look at the way he talks about them, especially in the last one, verse 8 here. He said, I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ or the affection of Christ Jesus. He loved his Christian brothers and sisters with all of the affection that Christ has for us, right? Now, obviously, nobody can love us like God loves us and like Christ Jesus loves us. But he's saying, hey, I am the embodiment of that sort of brotherly Christian love. Like, I love each and every single one of you in that church. Now, whether or not he's even met them before, whether or not he's had a conversation with them before, whether or not he knows what their name is, he loves them because they are part of the Christian faith. He loves them because as a whole, we're on the same team here, right? We're all wearing like the Jesus jersey for, you know, for lack of a better term there. We're all on the same team. We should all love each other. We don't need to be divided. And he's saying, I long for each and every one of you. And he prays for them daily. Um, at the very beginning of these passages, he said, I pray for you. You're in my heart all the time. He's constantly thinking about his Christian brothers and sisters. And I just wonder, you know, how, how often do we actually, you know, think about and pray for the people in our own church? Now, as a staff team, you know, we take all those prayer requests and re, we, we pray with, with each other um, as a staff team. But how often do you guys go home and say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to pray for this person in church today. I'm going to pray for this person in church today. Or, you know, this person, you know, they told me that they weren't having a very good week. I'm going to go home tonight and I'm going to pray for them. How often do we do that? And I'll be honest with you, from my perspective, it's not enough. Um, I, I don't pray nearly enough for as, as each and every one of you like I should, right? Because I'm just as guilty of when we come through the doors of the church, we say, hey, how are you? Good? Yeah, me? Good too. And then we just keep walking, right? Do, do, are we really taking an interest in each other's lives? Are we really showing that Christian brotherly affection with each other? Or how often are you, you know, maybe hanging out in the lobby drinking coffee and then, you know, somebody is just telling you what an awful week they had. And you're like, you know what? Hey, I I'm praying for you. And then you go throughout the rest of the week and you get here next Sunday and you're like, oh, shoot, I forgot to pray for them that week. Right? We do that often. We've, we've turned this idea of just saying, hey, you know what, brother, I'll pray for you. We've turned that into a saying. It's just one of those, like, things that we say without really thinking about it. And then we go throughout the rest of our week and we don't think about it ever again because it's just one of those natural reactions that we say. And, again, I'll be the first to admit I'm the world's worst at it, right? I am the world's worst at saying, hey, you know what, I, I, I'll pray for you this week. If somebody texts me saying, hey, pray for me, I'm having a bad week, got you. Now, I should stop everything that I'm doing right then and do it, but I don't. I'll say, you know what, I got, I got you. I'll pray for you later tonight, and I don't do it. And it just keeps snowballing and snowballing, and then, you know, it comes next Sunday, and I never do it. So Paul is modeling this idea of 
hey, look, I pray for you all the time. As Christians, we should pray for each other and think about each other and keep each other in our hearts all the time. With the affection that Christ Jesus had for us, which is huge. He loved each and every one of us, you know, and he didn't even know us. And he loved us that way. And Paul is saying, look, God can testify how much, I ha- how much love I have for you. Going off of that same thing, let's go to Ephesians 1.16. It's Paul again writing to the church at Ephesus this time. Um, again, this is the introduction to, to the church there. He says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Another translation says that he has not, um, he says, I have not ceased in giving thanks for you, meaning he is always thankful for the people that he surrounds himself with. He is always thankful for, um, for his Christian brothers and sisters who are building him up, right? We talked about that last week, about the church, how we're supposed to gather to build each other up. That's the whole goal, and that's the whole purpose of a church. Give thanks for that, right? Um, you know, I, I say all the time that, you know, I'm thankful for, for the, the people that I've met here and the connections that I've met here for, you know, for Pastor Frank, for the rest of the staff team who have, who have really built me up to be the person that I am. And I tell them, you know, hey, you know, thank you again. Or I tell other people, hey, you know, I'm really thankful for, for Pastor because of this. Or I'm really thankful for this person because of this. But I don't thank them nearly enough. Like, I, I, you know, I should never cease to always be remembering what they've done for me. And sometimes I take that for granted, I think. And I think a lot of us do as well. We take for granted the fact that we can come here and be with one another on a daily basis, or on a weekly basis, really, even, um, or just the fact that, you know, we can, you know, call each other and say, hey, will you meet me, you know, whenever? It doesn't have to be just on Sunday. I think we kind of take that for granted sometimes. And again, I do the same thing as well. So Paul is saying here, no, never, never stop remembering who your Christian brothers and sisters are. Never remember what they do for you. Never remember or never forget, um, always remember how much they have done for you. Always remember. And I, I, I can't help but think, I, I can't help but think all of, if you think about all of the dead churches out there who, who, have, sort of, who, who have sort of plateaued and, and, and died, their, popu- their, like, um, their numbers have just kind of gone down, they haven't been able to sustain themselves. How many dead churches would still be active if we took this mentality? How many dead churches out there would still be thriving and alive because their congregation, their body of believers had true love for one another and truly prayed for each other? How many churches out there would still be able to to reach people for the gospel instead of not being able to open their doors anymore because they had like discord among them, right? Because they didn't love each other like the Bible says they were supposed to. Of the top three things that... um, that, that are reasons why churches die or churches don't make it. Number one, obviously, is finances and money. But the second thing is internal discord among the people. People can't agree on, on certain things, right, when really all it should be is we should love each other and love God. That's what church is about. That's what Christianity is about. But we don't do that. And, and I just, again, I can't help but think, you know, what would happen to the churches in the United States or even across the world? What would happen to all the churches if we took this mentality that Paul is modeling here of, of, of true Christian brotherly love, right? Um, and it just, it kind of gets my, it kind of gets my mind racing. It's like, you know, what would, what would happen? What would that look like? What would the world look like? What would the United States look like if churches didn't die, but they were actually thriving? 
instead of more churches every year shutting their doors, um, we, we were opening doors and keeping, and keeping it going, right, and sustaining it and making new churches. It just is that mentality. And I think that, you know, a lot of times we, we, don't, we don't have that. Um, and it all goes back to taking an interest in each other. It all goes back to, you know, how, what kinds of things are, are we doing for each other, taking interest in each other's lives. Um, and, and again, that's all what it comes back to is, is having those meaningful relationships with people. And I'll use an example from, from this morning, right? Um, I walked through the doors and there was a lady walking in the doors with me and she goes, you know, hey, hey, Jackson, how was your week? I was like, good, how was yours? She goes, good, and that was it. That's not a meaningful conversation, right? That, that's not a meaningful conversation at all. And as I was walking in here and I sat down, I was like, hey, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I'm just, like, I'm preaching to the choir here, right? Like, like we are so guilty of that. And I guarantee you, you can, you can remember a Sunday that you came to church, sat down, and participated in worship, then went home without having one meaningful conversation with another person at church. It's so easy because we don't take the time to do it. We don't go out of our way to say, you know what, I want to take an interest in your life, in your life, in your life. I want to talk to you and get to know what you're actually about rather than just being, oh, yeah, I go to church with that person. Like, no, I know that person. I have a relationship with that person, not just, oh, we go to church with them. No, I know who they are. I know them. Let's look at uh, Galatians 5, 7 through 8. This is Paul writing to the church at Galatia. Now, this is, um, the whole book of Galatians is actually um, Paul basically holding them accountable for their actions. Um, they have actually gotten away from the, the teachings that Paul gave them, and Paul has heard about it. So he's now writing them a letter saying, hey, what happened? You were thriving as a church. You believed everything I say, and now you've gotten away from that. What's the matter? He's holding them accountable for their actions, all right? And this is just a little snippet of it. Um, so in uh, verse, or chapter 5, verses 7 through 8, it says, You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. This is Paul calling out other Christians. This is Paul holding them accountable for their actions and saying, hey, you were doing just fine. You were running a good race. You were on the right path that you were supposed to be. You had hit the ground running. You were doing awesome. What happened? Who got to you? Who cut in on you that made you stop running that race? What happened to you? What situation happened or what kind of issues did you have that, that made you stop running that race? And maybe not even just stop, but maybe turn around and run in the opposite direction. He's holding them accountable. I think accountability is one of the biggest things in churches that's important that we don't talk about. Because it's a hard subject to talk about, holding one another accountable. And it's hard to, it's hard to hold each other accountable when you don't have a real relationship with somebody. Right, which is what it goes back to what I just talked about. If I don't have a relationship with you, it's going to be real difficult for me to come up to you and say, hey, you're doing this wrong. You'd be like, okay, right? Like, you don't know me. Why are you attacking me, right? When in reality, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to hold you accountable to, for your actions, but it comes off as sort of um, I, as like harsh because I don't have a relationship with you. 
these things that we're talking about all work together, all marry together and work hand in hand. We have to have a relationship with each other so that way when one of us starts to stray off the path, we can say, hey, hey, wait a minute, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's think about what you're doing here, you know. Let's take a step back and let's say, hey, what, what, what happened? What's going on? Let me help you, right? Accountability is huge. Like if one of you guys saw that I was doing something that I shouldn't be doing, I would hope one of you would step up and say, hey, Jackson, what's going on? You know, you're, you're acting differently. You're not acting the way that, you know, you, you said that we're supposed to act and you're not following that. What's going on? I would hope one of you guys would step up and tell me that. Hold me accountable for what I'm doing. Or I would hope that if, you know, some of you guys saw that one of your other friends or church members was kind of going off on their own path, I would hope that one of you guys would step up and talk to them, say, hey, wait a minute. I care about you, dude. What's going on? What's going on, dude? Come on. Like, like let, let, let's talk about this. Holding each other accountable. As um, when I was in high school, I had a pretty decent friend group um, of, of probably six or seven guys that we were all, um, we had all decided, hey, we're going to hold each other accountable. Um, not, you know, not just for one specific thing, but just in general. And we started a group text with each other. And anytime um, one of us, you know, was, um, you know, about to do something like that we knew was dumb that we shouldn't do or something like that, we just send something in a group text and then we would all, you know, try whether if we were close in proximity, we'd come, you know, we'd go to them or, you know, we'd call them or something like that. It's, it's that idea of accountability of making sure that we're all on the right track as Christians together. Christianity was never made to do it by yourself. It's too hard. It's too hard to not follow the right path if you're walking by yourself. And on that same subject, um, and I think the reason why maybe sometimes we don't like to talk about accountability is because it really makes us check our heart, right? It really makes us check ourselves and say, you know what, what am I doing? You know, I, I, I don't want to hear that. I don't, I don't want to hear that I'm doing wrong. I don't want to hear that I'm not following what the Bible says because I want to do my own thing. And that's why accountability is hard. And while we're on that same subject here, um, there is no one that is above accountability. There is nobody that is above being held accountable in some way, which is why, for example, um, the, the, the church that we have, Lake Point Church, we have elders to hold, you know, Pastor Frank accountable, myself accountable, all our staff team together. That's why we meet, to hold each other accountable, to make sure we're not just going off doing whatever. Nobody is above accountability. So, again, these things work hand in hand. They work together. We've got to build relationships with one another. So when we see somebody going off the path, going off doing their own thing, doing something they're not supposed to be doing, we, can, we have that relationship already built so we can say, hey, listen, you know, let, let's talk about this. Let, let's figure this out together. Let's do life together, right? That's a lot of churches, um, sort of like their mission statement, right, is like doing life together because that's what Christianity should be. It's about each other, loving each other, taking an interest in each other's lives to, 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 to do something great. And let's, um, let's look at Matthew 18, 15 through 17 really quickly. Because, all right, 
Um, so this is, um, again, talking Christian to Christian. It says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you, just like we talked about. Um, if you see one of them doing something wrong, go, go tell them. Go talk to them just between the two of you. Don't make it a public thing. Don't holler at them across the street and say, hey, what you doing? Right? Like, like go have a conversation. Um, if they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen... Take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's what small groups are for, right? Or that's what the elders or a staff team is for, right? It's to, hey, if, you know, if one-on-one doesn't work, hey, let's get a couple other people. Let's talk about it as a group. Let's sort of, you know, the witnesses, the testimony of two or three witnesses. Verse 17. If that person or if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Yeah, that's harsh for back then, right? Tax, collect- tax collectors were known as being like the like sinful of sinful people because they were cheating people out of money and everything like that. So what this is saying is if you are unwilling to be held accountable by the church, you should basically be treated as an outcast of the, not necessarily the church but of society. You should be considered of the same sort of level there as a tax collector if you're not willing to be held accountable. That's how strongly the Bible feels about accountability in the church. Because we're not meant to do this together, or we're not meant to do this alone, we're meant to do this together. All right, I want to transition now to um, what we are supposed to do as Christians interacting with non-Christians. So that was sort of the Christian to Christian aspect, right? It's all about loving each other, it's all about holding each other accountable, and it's all about doing life together. Um, that, that's what this is all about. And we talked a little bit about that last week with the, with the, with the church, you know, what the church looks like and things like that. Um, but now I want to transition to how are we as Christians supposed to interact with the outside world? And I think that's a big, big, big flashpoint topic, especially in our society today, is how Christians and non-Christians interact with each other. Um, so I, obviously I can't hit all of it, um, but I want to do the best that I can with the remaining time that I have. Um, so the first verse I want to look at is Matthew 5, 43 through 47. Matthew 5, 43 through 47. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are you not, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you only greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. What this verse is talking about is we are called as Christians to do the exact opposite of what our human tendencies are. Our human tendencies are to, to love people who love us and have mutual dislike for people who don't like us. That's our human tendency. That's who we are as, as, as human beings in this society is to love people who love us and dislike people who dislike us. Because it's easy to love people who love you back, right? Like it's easy to love my wife because I know she loves me back. It's easy to love my parents because I know they love me back. It's not easy to love my coworker in, you know, the, the classroom next to me who, you know, doesn't like me and who says that I don't know what I'm doing, right? Like, it's hard for me to love that person. 
it's hard for me to love people who just constantly say that I'm doing something wrong or who are constantly putting me down or who are constantly saying, hey, why would you do that? I would do it this way. Why would you do that? I would do it this way. Hey, you don't know how to do anything. Let me just do it for you, right? Like, it's hard for me to love those people because I know that they're not saying that out of a place of love to, to you know, help me. They're saying it as this sort of like jab saying, hey, why are you here basically, right? But we're called to do that, not because it's easy, because it's not. It's very difficult. It's not easy to love someone who does everything in their power to make sure they dislike you. But that's the reason we're called to do it, because he did it, because Jesus did it, right? He died, and he loved people who he knew would hate him, but he loved them so much that he died for them, for people he didn't even know, but people who constantly do everything they can to, like, like shame him and don't want nothing to do with Christ, he died for them and he loved them enough. Yet it's hard for us to even show that person in the classroom or in wherever you work, in the cubicle next to you, show them that same love, right? I'm not asking you to die for that person, right? Jesus did that for them. But our job as Christians is to show them that Christian love. Because it says, um, and I don't have this verse, but it says in, um, in the Bible, it says, you know, that's how Christians will be known, is by our love for each other. And not just for each other, but with everybody else. That's how people will know we are disciples. Because, you know what, that person may not like me, but if I show them that love, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to freak out, Right? They're going to say, wait, 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 wait a minute, hold on. I'm over here just like hurling insults at you, and you're telling me that, you know, that I'm doing a great job? What? That's not how this works, right? So it's hard, but that's what we are called as Christians to do, is even love your enemies. Love people who love you and love your enemies. The last part of that verse, it says, um, don't just greet, um, don't just greet your own people, right? Uh, if we could put that very last verse up, I think, or maybe in the one before that, that one right there, thank you. And if you greet only your people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Don't just greet other Christians. If you only have Christian friends, um, you might not be doing exactly what God has called us to do, right? If you remember last week, we talked about, when we talked about the church, you know, if you're only a Christian in this building and you don't take it outside with you, we're called to be light in the darkness. But how can we do that when we never step into the darkness, right? If all we are ever surrounded by is our Christian friends and that's all we ever want to talk to and that's all we ever want to hang out, how are we going to spread that light? How, if we don't ever step out of our comfort zone into that dark place, how are we ever going to spread the light that God calls us to spread? We're supposed to love everybody, even the people outside the walls, even people outside the faith. That's how we spread the good news. But we can't do that if we're just constantly stuck in our um, comfortable bubble, in our comfort zone. And I promise you, not just as a Christian, but as a human being, the place you will grow the most is when you get out of your comfort zone. That is absolutely the place you will grow the most. You will find out a lot about yourself when you step out of your comfort zone, just like me remodeling my house, right? remodeling my, my, my uh, bathroom. I've learned a lot about myself because I have no idea what I'm doing. You will learn a lot about yourself. 
if you step out of your comfort zone. All right, the, this next verse, Matthew 7, 1 through 5, is where I want to spend the bulk of the remaining time that I have left. Um, because I think it's, uh, again, kind of a flashpoint topic here. All right, so let, we'll just read it all, and then I want to break it down just a little bit. So Matthew 7, verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all that time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. If we could go back to verse 1, please, 7-1. Thank you. I want to start here with just this little bit that says, do not judge, or you will be judged too. And first off, the definition of, of judge is um, to form a conclusion about, all right? I think a lot of times when we hear this verse, we sort of take it out of context because we don't really understand what the word judge means. Um, the word judge means to form a conclusion about. Um, if you think about it, <coughs> like a judge, like in a courtroom, he decides the final decision. He's the final conclusion of whatever. Yeah, there's an appeals process and things like that. But he is the final decision in that courtroom. He makes the judgment. He passes down that judgment. In the Christian life, that is reserved for one person and one person only, and that is God. God is the only person who has the knowledge and authority to be the final deciding judgment. He is the only one who has the authority and knowledge to form a conclusion about a person, about you, about me. We do not have that power. We do not have the knowledge, authority, or anything to form a final conclusion about a person. And anytime that we do that, because God is the only one, anytime that we judge somebody and form conclusions about people, we are basically playing the role of God because that's his job, not ours. If we think that we have the authority and the power and all of the knowledge to cast judgment on a person, we are taking that power out of God's hand and playing God when we do that. We don't have that ability or authority to play God and judge people. I heard a, um, I, I love quotes, um, not just like biblical quotes, but quotes from other people because they really sum up a lot about what I'm thinking most of the time because I can't put it in words. And it said uh, something like, be kind to everybody and do not judge anybody because you don't know what the other person is going through, right? Like we don't have that overarching knowledge that God has about everybody to make a determining decision about a person. The bottom line is to judge people, to judge their actions, to judge what they do, to judge who they are, is to take away that power from God and play God, which we are not supposed to do, or else we will be judged, which is what the second part of that verse says. It's also not okay to judge because here's what happens. It makes us think we are on a different playing field than everybody else. 
when we judge somebody. It's almost like we're standing up here on top of our Christian pedestal, looking down at the rest of everybody else and laughing and pointing fingers and saying, hi, you'll never be good enough. You deserve to be down there. That's why I'm up here and you're down there. We sit atop this Christian perch and look down at everybody and say, yep, you're going to help. So are you. So are you. So are you. Ah, you might make your way up here one day. No. We do not have that ability, power, or authority to do that. And also what it does is it, because of that, because it puts us up on such a pedestal, it basically creates our, an unrealistic sense of self for us. It creates this idea of, you know, are we just so good that we can just sit around checking out other people? Are you just so perfect that you don't have your own stuff to work on instead of worrying about what everybody else is doing? I'll tell you what, I think a lot of people, not just in this room, but everywhere, if they took even half the amount of time that they spent judging people and put it into their prayer life, their, their life would change dramatically. If we would even take half the time that we spend worrying about what every single other person in our life is doing but not our own, and we invested that into our Christian life and prayer life, oh my gosh, how much different would the world be? But we don't do that. We don't want to worry about our issues because when we play God and judge everybody else, it makes us feel better about our own issue. It makes us feel better about, ooh, you know, I have this little bit of issue, but at least I'm not like that guy. At least I'm not like that girl. Just because you don't have a drug addiction problem doesn't mean you can judge him for having one. Doesn't mean you can judge her for having one. Just because you, have, you don't have money issues doesn't mean you can't judge this person for struggling with money. Because we don't know. We don't have that knowledge or the authority to do that. Only one person does, and that is God. Verse uh, 3 and 4 here um, in, in this verse crack me up. Um, and if you can just imagine this image with me. Um, imagine you have a speck of, like, sawdust in your eye, right? And anything in your eye hurts, even, like, a little eyelash hurts. So you can imagine, you know, what a piece of sawdust would do. So you have a piece of sawdust in your eye, and, you know, you're bent down, like, struggling to get it out. You're, like, looking in a mirror. You're, like, washing your eye, like, trying to get it out, right? And it hurts. And then all of a sudden, I walk up behind you, and I'm like, hey, I see you're struggling with something in your eye. Here, let me help you with that. And then you turn around and look, and I got this, like, massive thing, like, sticking out of my eye, Right? You think you're going to want my help getting that out of your eye when I got this huge thing sticking out of mine? Heck no. No way. And probably really what you'll be thinking is not only do I not want your help, um, I think yours might be a little more urgent than mine. Right? This picture in this is almost comical. But it's, it's so true because... <laughs> Because that's what we look like when we start judging everybody else's sin. We're judging everybody, oh, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong. But then if we looked in the mirrors, we'd see everything that we're doing wrong too, but we don't want to do that. It reminds me of another verse that I didn't have time to put in here. But it was when um, Jesus walks up on these, these people and they're about to stone this woman. 
Um, and he says, hey, anybody who is free from sin cast the first stone. And everybody just drops their rocks and walks away, right? Who are we to place judgment on people when the only perfect one there was who was free from sin was Jesus? We, we can't do it, y'all. We, we cannot do it. The whole point of this verse is to say, hey, we're not perfect. We all have flaws. We all mess up. And we all have to spend the time that we have to work on the things that we need to work on to be more like him, not worrying about what everybody else is doing. Not worrying about judging others instead of our own things. Because it doesn't make sense. Unless, for example, unless you think, well, you know, yeah, Jack, you're, you're right. I have some sin. It's nowhere near as bad as that person's, though. I mean, I just, you know, I, I like to, uh, you know, I, I, I like to do some, some things that yeah, aren't necessarily aligned with the Bible, but I'm not that dude over there. Bro, I have got news for you. It doesn't matter what your sin is. It all relates the same way. It all separates us from God. No matter what your sin is, I don't care if, you know, maybe you stole a piece of candy from the store and they're, you know, in a homosexual relationship, your neighbors are. I don't care. Whatever that looks like, both of them still separates you from God. I'm not saying the sins are equal, but I am saying the effect is the same, is that it all, all sin separates you from where we are supposed to be, and that is a relationship and eternal life with God. It is a dangerous game to start playing if you start, like, these little ticky-tack sins with each other, right? Well, I'm, my sin's here, but this one's up here, and this one's down here, and this person's here. That's a dangerous slope, and that's a dangerous game to start playing. When at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because sin in general separates us from God. It does. It separates us from where we want to be with God. I want to end with one more verse as we wrap up, and that's Matthew 7, 12. Um, it's just a little further down from the passage we were just reading. And a lot of you have, have heard this before. It's kind of, this is considered the golden rule, right? So in everything you do, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This is not just talking about Christian to Christian or Christian to not. It's talking about everybody. In everything you do, do to others what you would have them do unto you. If you seriously sat down and thought about the way you treat people and the way you talk to people, how would you react if that person treated you the same way? If you wouldn't like it, then take stock of what you're doing and stop treating people that way. Do unto others what you would have them do unto you. If you don't want somebody hollering and screaming at you and telling you you're going to hell, you probably shouldn't do that to other people. It's all, I, I, I used a lot of verses, and this one, I could have just stuck with this and this is it, because this pretty much encapsulates everything that I talked about today. Love one another. That's what it's all about. Love one another and build relationships with each other. We're here to build each other up. We are here for a very short period of time. 
Don't you want to do the most good you possibly can in this short period of time? Why, why spend it judging people and worrying about everybody else when you can really make a difference in somebody's life instead of just pointing at them and saying, hey, you know, you're doing this and this and this. Instead of that, say, hey, let me help you. Because that's the difference between judging and holding somebody accountable. Judging is doing it from a very negative place and casting that final judgment, you're never gonna get any better, so why worry? Whereas accountability is, hey, let me hold your hand, let me take you and build you up. That is the way, that is the path we need to be on, is accountability, loving, and showing people God's love. Doing unto others as they would have them do unto you. Now, maybe you're the person in here who says, Justin, I don't really care what people do to me. Um, I don't really have a good view of myself. I don't really love myself, so how can you really expect me to love others? If that's you, come back next week. I think I have something good for you next week. Um, that's what we're going to talk about next week. So, so please, if that is you, make plans to be here, all right? Um, and if that is you, talk to one of us. Talk to Pastor Frank. Talk to me. Talk to somebody. Um, or if you're struggling with maybe you have somebody that you know that you are not loving your enemy, right? Like maybe they are your enemy at work or wherever you go, and you're having a hard time loving them. Step one, pray for that person. Pray for them, and then God will tell you exactly what you need to do. That's step one. So please take stock of that. Take stock of people that you're treating unfairly or, or you, know, you need to treat better. What I want to do is I'm going to pray for everybody. But while I do that, um, while I'm praying, I want you to get those people in your mind. Maybe they're coworkers. Maybe they're other parents that you, you know, your, your son or daughter plays a sport with, right? Um, wh- whatever that looks like. Take stock of that while I'm praying, and I want you to, to, to think about, hey, how can I start that process of loving this person this week? Because that's huge. Pray with me. Dear Lord, I just thank you for this wonderful day, God, that you've given us just to be able to gather here together and, and worship and fellowship with you, God. I pray for everybody in this room that we, we would love each other. God, it, it sounds so simple, and it sounds so easy just to love each other. But God, it's hard. It's hard to love people who don't love us. You know that. But you, you died for everybody. God, please give us that same sense of brotherly and Christian love, God, that we can just love on every single person that we come across and every single person that we meet. God, that's huge. I pray that you be with us as we go throughout this week, that maybe, hopefully, we can start that process of, of, of start loving the people who don't like us, God. As a church, I pray that we would continue to love each other unconditionally and we would take an interest in each other's lives and we would, we, we would try to build each other up and hold each other accountable instead of just judging each other, God. I pray for everybody in this room as they go throughout the rest of this week and people who aren't here, maybe they're traveling back, God, I pray that you keep them safe. I pray that you help them have a good week and I pray all these things in your name, amen.